Hello listeners, this episode of Luke's English Podcast is sponsored by italki, which is a really convenient service that you can use to develop your fluency in English by talking to native speakers online. To claim your italki voucher worth 100 italki credits, just go to teacherluke.co.uk forward slash talk or click an italki logo on my website. Now let's get started with this new episode and here we go. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Luke's English Podcast. Here is a new episode for you to enjoy. The background music makes it sound uh, both cool and serious at the same time. It's a new episode. That's that's exciting, isn't it? I, I hope so. Um, I realised that uh, when an episode begins with music like this, it makes it sound like, I don't know, much cooler than it really is, considering this is going to be a podcast about grammar. I, I suppose I'm just trying to make grammar sound more cool, you know? Imagine if grammar was cool. It's not, is it? I mean, grammar is not really particularly cool. If you're really into grammar, it means you're a bit of a geek. But if, imagine if, if grammar was the coolest thing in the world. Well, uh, that's what you're going to get in this episode, okay? Oh, suddenly the music's changed. I didn't expect that. Uh, this piece of music was made by my brother. Um, and uh, I'm not that familiar with it. It's quite new. But... As far as I can tell, there are two notes in this song, and this is the second note of the song. Back to the first note? Yes, I thought so. Straight back to the first note there. Not really a note, more a little sort of chord sequence, certainly based around one key. I'm not criticising his music at all, no, I'm not saying that. Obviously, there are other benefits to the music that my brother has obviously put in there, like stuff like the beat and the general sort of style of it. Um, and the sound of the bass guitar and things like that. Um, s- just simple two chord structure. <laughs> I'm just, uh, I'm just taking, I'm, I'm uh, taking the Mickey out of my brother's music for no good reason because uh, it's actually a very nice uh, background uh, on this episode of the podcast. Right. So, um, in this episode, I'm going to talk to you about some recent things that I've taught in my classes at school. So there'll be some grammar in here, and I did mention that before. Hopefully you won't fall asleep and you'll enjoy listening to that. In fact, it might be very useful for you. So there'll be some grammar and also some social English as well. Um, So uh, why have I decided to do an episode about things I've been doing in the classroom? Well, I I just kind of thought that it would be um, worthwhile for several reasons. One is that uh, it just gives me a chance to kind of review the things that I've been doing in class. It's just helpful for me to know exactly where I am in terms of the progression of my students and things like that. Um, So it's good for me to review it, but also I thought it might be interesting uh, for you to listen to um, uh, like the the approaches I use for my lessons and also specifically stuff I've been teaching in my classes. And it's been a fairly typical couple of weeks of teaching uh, with the students at the levels that they are. Uh, the language points I've been teaching have been fairly typical for those levels, you know, the usual grammar, verb tenses and bits of vocabulary and things like that. So um, I just thought it might be interesting for you to kind of learn from uh, the things that I've been doing uh, in my classes, in fact. Um, And this kind of reminds me, actually, just sort of talking about class activities and things does remind me of when I was doing my diploma qualification about 10 years ago. And in the exam, which is like the last thing you do in this grueling test. It's like a really difficult course and very, and very challenging. And the, the last part is an exam. And one of the things that they used to do in the exam was they would kind of give you a piece of uh, authentic material, like a newspaper article, and you had to then uh, create a whole lesson plan based around 
the newspaper article that they'd given you. And you also had to explain things like the group uh, and the background of the group and the needs of the group. Because um, when you're kind of preparing your lessons, it's vital really that you kind of focus on the specific needs of that group and everything is based around that. Um, So by talking to you now about my classes, hopefully I can sort of do both of those things, talk about the groups a little bit and then uh, take you through some of the things I've actually been doing in the classroom. Um, So yeah, I'll give you an overview of the groups and then I'll talk about some stuff I've been teaching, including a lot of the grammar and vocab I've been doing. Essentially, you can learn what my what my students have been learning. I'll also talk about some considerations that I make as a teacher and activities that I use. Now, um, I, I maybe it would, would be a good idea to take the music back on here because I wanted to say that my voice sounds deeper than usual, don't you think? It sounds kind of cool. Um, it's, I think it sounds a bit deeper uh, than it normally does. You know, it's I sound like some sort of cool DJ. The reason for that is that I'm, my throat is still recovering from a sore throat. I guess I had some sort of throat infection. I'm still getting over it. And it's had the effect of kind of making my voice sound a lot deeper like this. So you're listening to Luke's English Podcast. This is the sound of me speaking with a deep voice. I'm going to cut the music now so that you can hear it even more clearly. And here it is, the deep voice in all its wonder. Here it is. It's all very deep, isn't it? It sounds good. I think it sounds good for the podcast, don't you think? Um, It's going to get. It's better than it was in the last episode, uh, but it's still not completely perfect. Don't worry, it doesn't feel uncomfortable, really. Um, And uh, I haven't been doing much talking today, so I think um, a little bit of talking on the podcast in this episode uh, will not be too bad for it. Um, So, um, yeah, so let's go. So let me tell you about the classes that I've been teaching. So during the week, I have uh, two classes, um, um, and they're both quite low. They're probably lower than the average the, the level of the average listener of this podcast. I imagine that my classes are, at school are, are a bit lower than them. So two classes. The first one is um, an A2 level class. That's pre-intermediate. And uh, the other one is a B1.2 level, which is like good intermediate level. So pre-intermediate and good intermediate. Um, to sort of a lower level and then a kind of mid-level um, afterwards. So I don't know if you're familiar with the um, the level system in Europe. We follow the Common European Framework of Reference for Language Levels, which is a, a, a thing that goes across the whole European Union, and it's a system for measuring, you know, your proficiency in, uh, in a language. Uh, and uh, the same code is used across all the languages, like English, French, German, and so on. So um, the Common European Framework of Reference um, kind of goes from it's kind of got three bands like A, B, and C. A is the lowest, B is the the intermediate level, and C is the sort of advanced level. Uh, but then they divide those up. So you've got A zero, which is you know an absolute beginner. You know doesn't really speak any English at all. Not even sort of hello, how are you? Nothing. Uh, A one would be um, I guess elementary. Uh, that's where you're learning the absolute basics. You know things like countable and uncountable nouns, just how to conjugate the verb be and verbs in the present simple, verbs in the past uh, simple, adge- differences between adjectives and nouns, and v- uh, using adverbs for frequency, maybe basic comparisons and things like that. Elementary level. Then you get A2, which is I guess pre-intermediate. Most textbooks uh, define that level as pre-intermediate, and it's kind of building on the stuff that you did in the elementary level and introducing some of the more complex structures you get at intermediate. After that, then you end, you get into B1 which is intermediate. That's where you're pushing um, the language forward into, you know, making more complex narratives with past continuous and past simple. Um, you, you get into some of the details of modal verbs and the complexities of that and conditional structures and stuff. And then B2, that's where you're kind of, that's upper intermediate, B2. Uh, and that's where, you know, you really start to kind of uh, deal with much more complicated things like third conditionals and modals to talk about the past and um, you know complex combinations of passive structures and stuff like that. C1 is advanced and uh, that's when you get into the, into the nuances of the language and you know all of that kind of thing at the, the top end there, the, the complicated vocabulary, um, complicated structures with hedging, you know, where you sort of um, um, you do, you sort of switch the negatives into positives and uh, 
Um, you do that sort of thing. And then C2 is a, a proficiency level, and that's, you know, obviously the highest level you can get to. And that's kind of like near native, essentially. Uh, so my classes here are A2 and B1.2, so sort of uh, um, pre-intermediate and good intermediate. Um, the, the needs of the groups, I'm not going to tell you about the individuals or anything like that, that's just sort of private, but generally the, the groups are ad adults. Uh, one of the groups is uh, larger than the other one, so I've got six students in one and about 16 in the other one. Uh, the lower level one is smaller, and uh, they're all adults, and they all have very similar needs. In fact, um, um, some of them asked me... Um, you know, how I felt the classes were going. And, and I said, that no, I think they're fine. I said, how about you? How do you find the classes are going? And they said, we think it's great because you because we can speak, because we speak with you. Um, so, um, yes, yeah, so I try to do lots of speaking in my classes because I find that French adults often need to work on their speaking and their pronunciation uh, and also their listening as well because uh, in most of my students are French. Some of them aren't, actually, in my classes. I have a mix of French and other people. So I've got some Brazilians. Uh, I've got a, a guy from Africa uh, somewhere. He's from the Ivory Coast. Uh, and, and various other um, nationalities. I've got a German student. I've got a, a, Dan a Danish student. Uh, and some other different nationalities in there. Um, but I find generally the, the, the French uh, students uh, are pretty familiar with the written word. They're quite comfortable with writing and reading because it seems at school uh, they did a lot of reading and writing work because I imagine it's easier to do. And also I think that many of them were brought up um, in schools and taught by um, uh, like uh, French teachers you know, who were teaching English. And those French teachers... They may have sort of mastered the kind of written form of the language, you know, with the structure and the vocabulary and the ways of writing and reading and so on, but they hadn't quite got to grips with the pronunciation. And so they were kind of getting this sort of the oral version of English that they would get would be um, uh, sort of slightly sort of uh, French accent sort of uh, versions of English. And also not all the TV shows and movies are are broadcast in English. They're often dubbed into French. And so, you know, the level of exposure that many French people have to actual spoken English is actually quite minimal in, in some cases. And so they really need to work on their speaking and their listening and actually engaging in, in communication. Uh, and that's generally true in I find in France unless they have specific needs for writing most of the time it seems that speaking is is the skill that they need to improve the most and often their their uh, knowledge of English is quite good it's just a question of breaking through the kind of uh, awkwardness and embarrassment that you get from speaking uh, a foreign language um, especially if you feel like you're going to be judged by the the people you're you're in a classroom with but you can easily break that down and sort of just develop the right atmosphere for for a healthy kind of class to to happen um so adults who want who want to speak a lot some of them want it for work others are just there for their their life in general some people are retired and they're taking english classes as something to do generally people are curious and uh, they they're generally very good students and i'm very lucky to have some uh, Keen and enthusiastic adult students is brilliant. Um, so um, let's see. That's some of the needs of the groups. Um, it's general English as well, by the way. They've chosen general English. They don't need it for specific business purposes or exams or anything. Um, so let me just tell you about some of the things that we've been doing. I think I'll talk probably more about the, the good intermediate class because, as I said, most listeners to this podcast, I think, um, will have a, a, a better level than that. I think most of my listeners are, to be honest, like upper, intermediate, advanced, and even higher than that. Uh, even some English teachers out there listen to this uh, podcast too. If you are an English teacher listening to this, hello. Um, welcome uh, to my podcast. I don't know how long you've been listening, but it's very nice to have you with me. Um, so, in that good intermediate class, I've been using uh, cutting-edge intermediate third edition. That's the course book that I've been using, cutting-edge intermediate third edition. Uh, which is a standard book that we use, and uh, it's it's very good. I find, in fact, generally, I find the published materials from Oxford and Cambridge and other publishers to be very good. Really, um, generally speaking, the only things that I find um, that are the only things I don't quite like as much as the rest of the content is just the some of the recordings. I find that they could be a bit more loose and a bit more authentic rather than the slightly stiff kind of. Uh, uh, 
scripted dialogues and things. It would be nice to have some more uh, authentic dialogue in there. But other than that, the content in these course books is just great, and they're all very, very well put together with integrated skills and 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 systems practice and all sorts of different things. They're just really good, and they form the great a great basis for classes because you can kind of dip into them and dip out of them and. Uh, sort of uh, add new material of your own and uh, deal with uh, things from the students and build that into what you're doing. It's just a good launching pad often and a good place to come back to. So if you've been doing some speaking and some language feedback, you can then go back into the book to like do some vocab or pronunciation or something like that. So it's really good to do you know classes that where you have the option of doing the, the course book. Uh, so Cutting Edge Intermediate Third Edition... Um, um, let's see. Uh, but also, um, you can find a lot of um, this language I'm talking about just by Googling it. So, um, for example, this thing that I've been teaching recently has been gradable and ungradable adjectives. We did that last week in class. Gradable and ungradable adjectives. Now, you could find that in Cutting Edge. But also, you can just Google gradable and ungradable adjectives, and you will find lots and lots of stuff, including pages on websites like espressoenglish.net, where you can find pages about gradable and ungradable adjectives and, and lots of other grammar stuff. There, there's lots of useful content on, uh, online. So, what are, what are gradable and ungradable adjectives? Uh, well, this is something that's that's been introduced here at uh, uh, B1 level in this course book, at intermediate level. So, um, there are basically sort of two types, maybe three types of adjective, okay? You've got sort of regular adjectives, normal ones, and then extreme adjectives. Whoa! Extreme adjectives. Um, so regular adjectives and extreme adjectives. Regular adjectives can be um, sort of modified or graded uh, using uh, certain phrases. Like, for example, let's say, let's use the expression angry, okay? The word angry, the adjective angry. That's a regular adjective. Oh, he's angry. Um, you could say he's a little bit angry. He's a bit angry. He's slightly angry. He's fairly angry. He's rather angry, okay? He's very angry. He's extremely angry. He's immensely angry. He's intensely angry. Ang angry. I don't know what angie is, but he's that as well. He's intensely angie and hugely angie and really angry and pretty angry as well. Oh, my goodness. How many times did I just say angry? And are you like me now? Have you forgotten what the word angry means? It's just a completely uh, abstract concept now, isn't it, after you've repeated it lots of times? Okay, but that's just an example of how you grade a regular adjective. You can use all those expressions. But then the extreme adjective version of angry is, do you know what it is, listeners? Uh, it's furious, furious. And you can't say a little bit furious or a bit furious or slightly furious, no, or um, extremely furious. You you have to use other expressions. So you have to say absolutely furious, completely furious, utterly furious, really furious, or pretty furious. So in fact, you can use really or pretty for both regular adjectives and uh, extreme adjectives. Okay, do you get it? Do you, do you understand it? So you could say like um, another one would be like um, uh, cold. Uh, it was a little bit cold, or it was it was very cold. It was extremely cold. Fine. But um, what's the extreme version of cold? It's it's freezing. So you can't say it was very freezing. No, you have to say it was absolutely freezing. It was completely freezing. It was utterly free freezing. Or it was really freezing. Or it was pretty freezing. Okay? So all of these adjectives kind of, they have their equivalents. So you've got angry and furious. Um, you know, it was it was really bad. It was, or it was very bad. It was absolutely awful. It was completely terrible. Okay. It was utterly horrible, for example. That's a good one, isn't it? It was utterly horrible. You know, um, let's see. Like, I went into my son's bedroom the other day and I looked inside one of his drawers next to his bed and the things I saw in there were utterly horrible, for example. You know, that's quite a good one, isn't it? And when you say these extreme um, adjectives like this, you have to kind of use the right intonation and word stress. It was absolutely disgusting. And it was completely horrible. You know? Okay, so what you should do is repeat these after me. 
Okay, I was. He was very angry. He was absolutely furious. Okay, um, it was very bad. It was completely terrible, or it was absolutely awful, or it was utterly horrible. Uh, it was very big. It was absolutely huge, or it was completely massive, absolutely gigantic, um, utterly enormous. Uh, it was. Um, it's very clean in here, isn't it? It's very clean. Yes, it's absolutely spotless. Okay, clean and spotless. Uh, oh, it's a bit cold, don't you think? A bit cold? It's absolutely freezing. Are you repeating these after me? You should be. And you try to lower your voice. Try to lower your voice all the way down here so that your voice goes very bassy. And let's do it all the way down here, okay? So... Where was I? Uh, oh, it's a bit crowded on the train, isn't it? Crowded? It's absolutely packed. <laughs> you have to do that in a northern accent as well. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a bit crowded on the train, isn't it? Crowded? It's absolutely packed. Okay, you have to do it like that. You have to try and have fun when you're doing this kind of stuff, all right? Uh, it's very dirty. Oh, it's absolutely filthy. Oh, <laughs> Ooh, it was absolutely filthy, that movie, wasn't it? Oh. Absolutely filthy movie. Again, you have to do that in a northern accent like that. Oh, it's very dirty, this film, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's very dirty. It's absolutely filthy. You know, have fun with your voice. Why not? Especially when you've got a cold. When you've got a bit of a cold and it messes with your voice, have fun with it. You can do different voices. Um, you don't have to. You, you know, uh, you can just listen. If you're on the bus and there are people around you, don't sit there going, oh, it was absolutely freezing, wasn't it? Don't do that. You're going to freak people out. Don't do it. Uh, that, was, that was quite funny. It was, it was absolutely hilarious. Um, yes, very good, very good. That was uh, absolutely wonderful. Uh, utterly fantastic and uh, completely excellent. Actually, I don't think I've ever said completely excellent. Um, I don't think I have. Um, oh, this tea's oh, this tea's a bit hot. Oh, mm. oh, this tea's a bit hot. Uh, no, it, a bit hot. It's absolutely boiling. Terrible acting. What's going on? Um, uh, oh, I'm feeling a bit hungry. Uh, have you noticed that all of these examples have, have got the same structure of someone? who feels a little bit, and then the other person who feels completely. Have you noticed this? Like, there's two people, and they always disagree. So one person's going, oh, I'm a little bit hungry. And the other one goes, hungry? I'm absolutely starving. Okay? So that's how you have to do this. Imagine there's two people, and they never agree, and one of them feels a little, kind of a bit, a bit pathetic and weak, and the other one is like, sort of indignant and uh, slightly aggressive. So, oh, I'm a little bit hungry. A little bit hungry? I'm absolutely starving. Okay? All right, so that's the way we're going to do it with all of these. Um, uh, that was quite interesting, wasn't it? That was quite interesting. Quite interesting. It was absolutely fascinating. Okay? Quite, in quite interesting. It was absolutely fascinating. Like, it sort of disagrees with him. I don't know why they always disagree. Uh, but they do, you know. Uh, oh, she's getting a bit old. She's a bit old, isn't she? She's a bit old. A bit old? She's utterly ancient. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, oh, he, she's quite pretty, isn't she? She's quite pretty. Quite pretty. She's absolutely gorgeous. Okay. You don't, again, you don't have to do the voices. You can just, you know, do it your own way. Whatever, whatever suits you, okay? Um, oh, that was a bit scary, wasn't it? That was a bit scary. A bit scary? It was absolutely terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Uh, uh. Okay. That one got a bit serious. That was a little bit dramatic. Someone got absolutely terrified. You know, again, just have fun with it, you know. Um, oh, it's quite small, isn't it? <laughs> it's quite small. It's smaller than I expected. It's quite small. Quite small. It's absolutely tiny. It's absolutely minute. Minute. There's another one for you. Um, minute, meaning very small. Well, that was quite surprising, wasn't it? Quite surprising. Quite surprising. It was completely astounding. I've never heard anything like it in my life. Quite surprising. It was utterly astonishing. All right. I, you know, I'm expecting you to do this with me, you know. Unless you're in a pub public place and there are people around you, then exercise caution, okay? But if you're on your own, I expect you to be doing this with me, okay? Because otherwise it's never going to work. 
All right, you have to do this just to give your English a chance. Push yourself a bit, all right, and try and copy the way I'm saying this, even if it's ridiculous. So, uh, oh, I'm feeling a bit tired. A bit tired? I'm absolutely exhausted. How dare you suggest that you're tired? I'm exhausted. How many hours have you worked today? You've worked three hours? I've worked four hours today. I'm exhausted. How dare you? Okay. Um, <laughs> right, so exhausted or, or knackered. Knackered. There's another one. Absolutely knackered. That's a bit like slang. Knackered and very British. Um, and, uh, oh, she's a bit ugly, isn't she? A bit ugly? She's absolutely hideous. Oof. Oh, that's, that's harsh. That's very harsh. Absolutely hideous is an extremely insulting thing to say about anyone. I mean, like, uh, oh, is that their new baby? Is that their new baby? Oh, he's a bit ugly, isn't he? A bit ugly. He's, he's, he's absolutely hideous. <laughs> oh, that would be a bit sad, wouldn't it? <laughs> that would be. Maybe it's unfair to do it with a baby. I'm just joking, okay? I'm just joking. I'm just trying to make you laugh. Would it be better if it was a dog? Like, oh, look, I've got my... Here's my new dog. Look, I've got a new dog. Oh, God, have you seen his dog? It's not... It's, it's a bit ugly, isn't it? A bit ugly. It's utterly hideous. <laughs> oh, dear. An utterly hideous dog. That's quite a frightening idea. So, anyway, there you go. There is There were some regular adjectives and extreme adjectives. Very angry, absolutely furious, very bad, absolutely awful, quite big, absolutely massive, quite clean, spotless, a uh, bit cold, absolutely freezing, a uh, bit crowded, it's completely packed, uh, quite dirty, absolutely filthy, uh, it's quite funny, absolutely hilarious, it's quite good, uh, that was utterly fantastic, uh, it's a bit hot, it's absolutely boiling, I'm quite hungry. I am completely starving. That's quite interesting. It's absolutely fascinating. That was a, that was quite. I could go on. I could go on. Are you are you following this? Because what you're supposed to be doing here is testing yourself. Okay. All right. I've got no idea what you're doing. You could just be sitting there while I'm just repeating these words like a mad person. Uh, you're supposed to be following these or trying to guess the ones. You know, you're trying to guess the extreme versions, aren't you? Like old. What's the extreme version of old? Ancient, that's it, well done, good. You should be saying these out loud as well if you're in your car. Uh, um, what's the extreme version of pretty? She's quite pretty. She's absolutely, what is it? Yes, gorgeous, that's right. Uh, that was fantastic. That was absolutely fantastic. Uh, quite scary? Scary. Oh, oh, absolutely terrifying, that's the one, terrifying. Uh, quite small? Oh, God, these are difficult, these ones, aren't they? What's the extreme version of small? It's absolutely tiny, tiny, or minute as well, minute. Uh, surprising, uh, surprising, you remember that one? Absolutely astounding, or maybe astonishing as well. Tired, you know this one, exhausted and knackered. And then the, the ugly one was hideous, absolutely hideous. So there you go. That was uh, regular adjectives and extreme adjectives, right? That you have to use certain adverbs to uh, grade or modify extreme adjectives, like absolutely or completely. And then the regular adjectives can be graded with a little bit or a bit or slightly or very. Okay. All right then. So, but there are also other types of adjectives. There are also absolute adjectives. Absolute adjectives. That sounds like a game. It sounds like a board game that you would play with your family at Christmas. Like, should we play a game? Should we play Monopoly? No, I hate Monopoly. It makes me want to kill my family. Okay, let's not play Monopoly then. How about we play Absolute Adjectives? Would anyone, anyone fancy a game of Absolute Adjectives? Absolute Adjectives. Yeah, all right. Yeah, okay. Let's have a game. Let's have a game of Absolute Adjectives. I've got no idea what the rules of Absolute Adjectives are. No idea. But anyway, th th apparently there is a form of adjectives called absolute adjectives. These are sort of another type of extreme adjective, in fact, and they're called absolute adjectives. Now, these are words that are either yes or no, okay? You know, you can't sort of be a little bit or completely or, or more than just yes or no. It's binary. It's black and white. There's no grading, not even with words like completely, okay? For example, the word dead dead, okay? You can't be a little bit dead, okay? And you certainly can't be very dead. I mean, sure, if you did, 
you know, I don't know, fall off uh, a building uh, into an explosion, then you would be you'd be very dead. Okay, but the, grammatically we can't say that. It's either you're dead or you're not dead. That was just a stupid example. Anyway. Um, so you can't be a little bit dead or very dead. Either yes, you're dead or no, you're not dead. Okay. And you have to make sure that you know which one you are. Okay. Are you dead or are you not dead? You're not dead. Good. That's the correct answer. So uh, dead is an example of uh, an absolute adjective. Either it's, it is or it isn't. Now, here is a list of some absolute adjectives and their opposites. Now, the, the fun thing with this for me is that... Um, you can't grade absolute adjectives, but it's kind of fun to grade them. Like when I had a little bit of fun there with the expression a little bit dead or very dead. It just sounds ridiculous because obviously you can't be a little bit dead. You're either dead or not. So it's actually fun to play around with these absolute adjectives. And I, I find it funny to grade these absolute adjectives with words like very or a little bit. And then when you do that, sort of knowing that you're doing it, it starts to reveal how you can kind of bend the language to make it humorous or ironic, okay? So, for example, we've got uh, the word like complete. Uh, complete, all right? Um, it's either complete or it's not complete. Uh, and the opposite is incomplete. You can't say it's very complete. I read your report, and I have to say that it's very complete. Um, either it's complete or not, so you don't say very complete. Um, equal as well, and the opposite, unequal. And that makes me think of Animal Farm, okay? Um, and you know that in Animal Farm, it's kind of like an allegory for society or an allegory for communism. And it's, um, it's a sort of an, alleg an allegory. It's an allegorical story written by George Orwell. Um, and it was published in 1945. And um, in Animal Farm, basically, it's, it's about life on the farm and the sort of animals run the farm. And it's the pigs who get organized and form a government. And they say uh, their slogan, they're kind of a communist government, and their slogan is, all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. Now, it's kind of funny and ironic, because obviously you can't be more or less equal, either you're equal or not. Um, and so that was kind of ironic, saying as a way of saying, you know, in, in a communist society, all people are equal, but some people are more equal than others. It just kind of revealed the hypocrisy in it. Um, so equal and unequal. We also have essential and uh, non-essential or extraneous as opposites, uh, dead and alive, uh, fatal and not fatal, uh, full and empty. Uh, now, I think that one gets used quite a lot, particularly full. So when you're eating and you're at dinner with someone, uh, someone's house and they've been feeding you all evening and you want to politely tell them that you don't want to eat any more of their food, you can't say, uh, when they say, would you like some more? You can't say, no, thank you. I don't want any more of your food. You can't do that. Instead, you have to say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm feeling a little bit full, actually. It's absolutely, it was delicious, though. It's delicious just a, feeling a bit full. Now, technically, that's wrong. You can't be a bit full. You're either full or not, aren't you? So um, anyway, that's what people say. Um, ideal and uh, not ideal. Um, okay, fine. Impossible and possible. Um, you know, and you could, you could use that. It's like, a, what do you think of my plan? Well, I think it sounds just a little bit impossible, you know, as a joke. Um, infinite and finite. Infinite and finite. All right. Married. That's perfect for, for a, a joke. You can imagine in some kind of uh, rom-com, like some romantic comedy like Bridget Jones's Diary or something. And, you know, Bridget Jones has spotted some handsome guy played by some British actor. And she's like, who's that man over there? And uh, her friend goes, well, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the boss. That's the son of the CEO. But I'm afraid he's very married. Uh, you know, he's very, obviously you can't say very married, but you could sort of make a little joke about it. Uh, uh, very married, uh, you can't say that, just married. And the opposite, single, divorced, separated, widowed, um, perfect and imperfect, pregnant and not pregnant. Although, you know, you might say, oh, you're looking very pregnant um, as a kind of a, a joke. You see the way you can sort of mess around with the language a little bit. Uh, unique. Uh, unique. Now, actually, that's one that people often uh, do grade. They say he was very unique. Uh, it was a very unique situation. 
for example. Technically, that's wrong. Either something's unique or not. But nevertheless, lots of people uh, grade unique. Uh, universal um, and not universal. Unknown and known. Um, and uh, true and false. True and false. I mean, that's quite a good one. You know, any any sort of uh, liars out there, kind of like big time liars, sort of government level liars, you know, would kind of say that's, you know, it was, I thought it was true at the time and I did what I thought was true at the time. So if that's the sort of thing that someone would say if they lied, right? They'd be like, uh, uh, so uh, did you did you do that uh, honestly or not? Well, I, di- I thought I was doing the right thing at the time. Okay, what am I talking about? True and false. You can't say, ah, it's a little bit true, his story. It's either true or it's, it's not. You would have thought. But couldn't you equally write a story and have some elements that in it that were true and some elements that were made up? And then it would be partially true, right? It would be quite true. Mm. Anyway, it just goes to show, doesn't it, that uh, you know, language is an evolving thing and the rules often get broken or there are many exceptions and things. Um, you also might hear people saying that's very true uh, and also more unique, as I said. Um, now, those sentences are in fact not correct, like very true and more unique. But there are certain bits of usage that are common in spoken English. It doesn't mean that native speakers have no respect for the rules Uh, Just that certain little inconsistencies become common enough to be basically accepted as okay. And that includes things like, you know, that's very true. There's a lot of people. Not there are a lot of people, but there's a lot. And the shirt is more unique than that one. Um, Okay, you can find some exercises to practice all that stuff. If you want to test yourself and see uh, how well you know those extreme adjectives and absolute adjectives, then you'll find a link on the page for this episode where you can go and test yourself uh, with a few exercises. So why not try that? So, uh, gradable and ungradable adjectives, or gradable and extreme adjectives. So I did some of that. We didn't go into the absolute adjectives. We just did the uh, gradable and non-gradable ones. So a bunch of that. Also, I've been doing you know some of the classic grammar. Absolutely classic grammar. Uh, that you do at intermediate level, including things like the difference between present simple tense and present continuous tense. That old favourite. What is the difference? Present simple tense, for example, I produce episodes of Luke's English podcast. That's present simple. And present continuous is I am producing episodes of Luke's English podcast. Okay? So, first one, present simple, we use that for just facts, you know, things that are always true. Um, Habits, things that you do every time. You know, like your breakfast habit or what time you always go to bed. Often used with uh, adverbs of frequency, you know, sometimes, usually, often, things like that. And also, we use present simple to just talk about permanent situations. So, like a permanent situation in your life. For example, I live in Paris, for example. Uh, okay? Or if I can... Then, on the other hand, you've got present continuous, right? And I, if I considered my life in Paris not to be permanent, if I thought that it was just a temporary thing... I might say, for example, I'm from London, but at the moment I'm living in Paris. Okay, so there you go. I use the present continuous, and that's basically um, in contrast to permanent things with present simple. Uh, it's actually to describe temporary situations. I'm living in Paris at the moment. If I considered it to be temporary, I could use present continuous. If I consider it to be permanent, it's present simple. I live in Paris. Um, so, which one is it, Luke? Is it permanent or temporary? Well, I don't know. I don't know. The future is unwritten. Um, so, I'm just going to go with my gut feeling and say, and, and do a mix of the two. I'm going to say, um, I live in Paris at the moment. You see? You see what I did there? I sort of mixed it up and just made it slightly more ambiguous. So, we're not quite sure if I feel like it should be a permanent thing or not. So, present simple, done. Facts, habits, permanent situations, present continuous Um, temporary situations, uh, and also, obviously, what you're doing right now. Like, I'm recording an episode of Luke's English Podcast right now. Like, for example, if my wife phoned me, and I was like, yeah, sorry, darling, yeah, no, can I, no, can I just, um, no, it's, can I, can I call you back in, can I call you back in about half an hour? Is that okay? I'm just, I'm recording an episode of the podcast. No, it's, that's fine. Don't worry. Yeah, okay. Yeah, all right, I will. Okay, all right, love you too. You know, that kind of thing. I'm just recording an episode of the podcast. So things you're doing right now, but also temporary things at the moment, like, you know, I produce episodes of the podcast 
Um, I also teach English. And at the moment, uh, I'm teaching a group of uh, intermediate students. Um, and I'm teaching them until December, for example. All right. We also use present continuous uh, to talk about things that are changing in society. If you're talking about sort of trends or changing social trends in society, we often use present continuous to talk about those changes. Like, for example, you know, mobile phones are getting bigger and bigger all the time. I sounded like the BBC then, didn't I? Recent reports indicate that mobile phones are getting bigger and bigger all the time. Luke Thompson investigates. I'm standing outside the Apple store here in Oxford Street, London. Um, and one look inside the window shows that there's a plethora of touchscreen phones and they're getting bigger by the day. I don't know. That's like some stupid BBC um, uh, impersonation that I've just done. So um, social trends like mobile phones are getting bigger all the time, you know, uh, also in, in the winter, you know, you'd say the days are getting shorter. Um, and also we use present continuous to talk about future plans, don't we? Future plans. What are you doing tomorrow? What are you doing? What are you doing on Saturday? What are you doing? What are you doing on Saturday night? Um, I'm, I'm washing my hair. Oh, okay. What, what about Sunday afternoon? What are you doing on Sunday afternoon? Sunday afternoon, uh, I'm, I'm washing my hair again. All right. I just thought you might want to do something. Are you doing anything on... What are you doing on Sunday evening? Uh, Sunday evening? Yeah, I'm still washing my hair. Don't you get the message? I don't want to go out with you. And my hair's very dirty. So, uh, present continuous. What are you doing? I'm, you know, I'm recording a podcast on Friday. Would you like to join me, for example? Okay. Um, we also, um, when we're talking about the future... As I said, we, we use present continuous, um, but also um, other forms. And I've been doing a little bit of future with these students as well. So basically the main three tenses that we use to talk about the future. And this, this can be a tricky point here because in English, talking about the future, sort of it, we use different forms depending on the reason that we're talking about the future. Okay, So it's not just like there's one future tense. It really depends on the way in which you're talking about the future, and that affects things. So generally speaking, we've got present continuous and going to as ways of talking about plans that you have. Now, if you've decided to do something, you can say you're going to do it. For example, we're going to stay in a hotel in the uh, English countryside for three weeks, okay? We're going to... St it's a strange holiday. So it seems like a long time to stay in a hotel. Anyway, we're, gonna st we're going to stay in a hotel on the south coast of England for three weeks, okay? Uh, we're going to have a lovely time, um, okay? Uh, if, if those plans are fixed, for example, if it's all been paid for and it's all arranged, you could use present continuous to talk about that future plan. Uh, yes, we're staying in a hotel in the south of uh, in the south of England, the south coast of England. We're staying in a hotel. Um, I don't know why you would say it like that. We're staying in a hotel. What what do you want of it? We're staying in a hotel on the south coast. What business is, is it of yours? Um, I don't know why you would be saying that, but who knows? I don't know your life. I don't know the situations in which you will find yourself. Maybe one day you will need to say that. If someone is threatening you, you can say, we're staying in a hotel on the south coast of England. Come and bring your tough guys. I'll see to it that you, you don't get what you want. I don't know. I'm just, you know, I'm just um, speculating on the situations that you might be in. Maybe you've gone on holiday to the south coast of England and you've had a run-in with some local uh, hooligans and you've had to have an argument with them. And you pull up your, you, you roll up your sleeves and brandish your fists and say, now, how about you? I've, I, I won the boxing tournament at Oxford, I'll see, I'll, I'll tell you. Um, <clears throat> now, where was I? Future plans, okay. Present continuous going to. Now, you might use will for the future, a lot of people do. In fact, many of my students uh, have been using will. I, f I felt like I was going to become Michael Caine then for a, for a moment. You might use will as well when you're sp talking about the future. You might, sometimes, you might want to use will. And a lot of students do use will when they're talking about the future and you shouldn't use will all the time. Okay. You shouldn't always use will. If you're talking about plans, it's going to or present continuous. But if you're talking about sort of predictions or your attitude about the future, okay, like 
predictions, probably, then that's when we start using will. And we combine it with words like probably. Uh, I, you know, I think that uh, I think in England will probably win the World Cup next time. You know, that's the example I always give. It's a stupid example. No, nah, we probably won't win. We'll, we'll probably qualify, but we prob- we'll probably get knocked out in the second round on penalties. That's what usually happens. So we will probably, or I'll probably. What do you think you'll be doing five years from now? Oh, I'll, I'll probably be um, living in a penthouse in, uh, in uh, you know, Los Angeles somewhere, I imagine. Uh, just signing the, you know, the, giving the green light to a, the movie of my life starring, I don't know who it would be. Uh, who would it be? Luka Modric, the footballer, because he looks a little bit like me. Um, yeah, he's become an actor. Anyway, so future with Will. Uh, yeah, predictions with probably or something like that. Um, or promises. I'll see you tomorrow. I'll bring you the money tomorrow. I'll bring you the money tomorrow. Don't lie to me. Don't you lie to me, you son of a bitch. I'll bring you the money tomorrow, I promise. I promise I'll bring it tomorrow. Come on, don't kill, don't shoot me. You you better not lie to me. You know, even mafia gangsters are using grammar, ladies and gents, okay? Everyone has to use grammar, even uh, Italian-American gangsters. Um, so, so there you go. There's some of the grammar that I've been teaching my students. I've also been teaching them some social English, uh, particularly things like make how to make polite requests, how to make invitations. Um, and um, so I'm going to go through some of those phrases with you now. So uh, making polite requests, that's when you want something or you want someone to do something. And um, I, I came up with an exercise um, in my class. I think it was yesterday morning. I just came up with this exercise. I'm quite pleased with it. So essentially what I was looking for was uh, just to watch them making very polite requests uh, and also um, asking very polite questions as well. So I said to them, I'd like you to look around the room, uh, look around the room, look at all the people in the room, look at all the objects on the tables and on the floor, and I'd like you to write a list of the three objects that you want, okay? Three objects that you want to take from other people, all right? Now, it can be any object. So you could see someone's laptop and you might think, I want that person's laptop. So you write that down. So just three objects that you want to take that belong to other people. Then write down three questions that you want them to answer. And it could be any three questions in the world. The most intrusive, rude question. Uh, The point is that the person is going to refuse politely to answer your question, you see. Um, And also, they're going to have to refuse politely to to give you the thing that you're asking for, even though you're asking incredibly politely. Uh, And the third thing, what was the third thing? Um, Let me try and remember what the third thing was. The third thing was that you had to uh, write down three things that you want people to do for you, you know? So it could be just like, you know, could you turn turn off the lights, please. Uh, but also, it could be other things, like, could you give me all the money that you have, please? You know, like, really extreme things that you that you want people to do. Okay? And then what they have to do is they mingle. So everyone stands up, once they prepare themselves, and they mingle around and they ask people in the most polite way possible for the most ridiculous, unacceptable, selfish things. And, um, you know, it's quite funny because they're all talking in very polite ways in actually quite rude ways as well. Uh, And it just sort of highlights the way in which we use language to essentially get what we want and to avoid causing problems. So they're all going around going, uh, excuse me, could um, could you possibly give me all the money in your bank account, please? And they're going, oh, I'd, I'd really love to do that. I'm, I'm just, I'm afraid that I can't at those moments. I'm sorry. I'm really, I'm really sorry, but I'm afraid I'm, I'm, I'm not able to do that at this time. You know, that kind of thing. Um, and so uh, that comes after going through lots of um, language for polite requests. So I remember I started my class with borrow and lend. Um, borrow and lend, the difference between the words. Obviously, borrow is similar to take, but it just means take for a while and then you have to give it back. Like you borrow a book from the library. Okay, and the opposite of that is lend. So the but the library lends the books to people. So I'll, you know, do you want, I'll lend you ten pounds. You can give it back to me next week, for example. So uh, also we say borrow from. Uh, can I borrow some money from you, please? And lend to. If I if I lend some money to you, promise not to spend it too quickly. 
you know. So you also have, could you lend me, could you lend me your phone? Could you lend me your pen? Uh, could I borrow your pen? Could I borrow your pen from you? Okay, so could you lend me your pen? Could I borrow your pen? Could I borrow your pen from you? I should probably be using a word that's better than pen. I should try and think of a more exciting, interesting word than pen. Um, what could we be talking about? Could you... I know, I'll say briefcase full of money. Okay, briefcase full of money. Could you lend me your briefcase... I'll start again. Could you lend me your briefcase full of money, please? Could I... You know that uh, big stash of gold that you've got? Could I borrow your big stash of gold, do you think? Um, could I borrow... Uh, could I borrow your wife uh, from you? Um, no, you shouldn't say that. Even though that's a polite that thing, that's obviously unacceptable. Although they did make a Hollywood movie starring uh, who? Who was in it? Robert Redford, right? In which he essentially borrowed someone's wife. I can't remember what it was called. Um, could you lend me? Can I borrow? Do you mind? Plus ING. Do you mind passing me that paper? Do you mind passing me... Uh, that big bag of money. Do you mind passing me uh, uh, those uh, AK-47s? Do you mind passing me? Would you mind, plus ING, would you mind opening the window? It's just a bit hot in here. <laughs> Very mild. Would you mind putting the money on the table and leaving the room? Uh, very polite gangster there. I was wondering if you could. Imagine a bank robbery situation. Um, yes, good morning. Um, hello, sir. How can I help you? Yes, good morning. Um, I was just wondering if you could um, fill this big bag uh, full of all the money in the safe. Uh, don't call the police and get down on the ground uh, with your hands over the top of your heads, please. Um, do you think you'd be able to do that? Um, do you think you could? Uh, do you think you could give me all the money in the in the in the in the fucking place, please? Do you think you could, you could do that? Um, do you think you could? All right. So, do you th do you think you could just pass me those scissors? Excuse me. Do you think you could pass me those scissors? Thanks. Thanks a lot, darling. For example, I don't normally speak like that. That's just a kind of a a character of of sorts. Uh, um, you couldn't. Blah blah blah. Could you? I like that one. I like that one. Um, for example, um, you couldn't give me a hand, could you? You couldn't give me a hand for five minutes, could you? You couldn't. Give me a hand for five minutes, could you? And then we've got invitations. So you want to ask someone, um, you want to ask someone to do something. Let's say maybe you want to ask someone on a date, or you're just inviting someone for a drink or something. You could, you know, what are you doing on Saturday? What are you doing on Saturday? What are you doing? So what are you doing on Saturday? What are you doing on Saturday? And the person says, "I'm not doing anything." And you say, "Would you like? Uh, would you like to have a drink?" Do you fancy having a drink? Shall we have a drink? Let's have a drink, shall we? Do you want to have a drink? How about we have a drink? What about having a drink? Do you get the message? I would like to have a drink with you. Do you fancy having a drink? Hello? Hello? Uh, you know, uh, what am I doing? What am I talking about? I'm just presenting some of those phrases. So all of those things are the same thing. These are all ways of asking someone if they would like to have a drink. I suppose what I could say there is that was a blind man, uh, I don't know, a blind man in a, in a clothing shop trying to chat up uh, one of those mannequins. <laughs> like a funny comedy sketch. He doesn't realise that she's not a real woman because he's blind and he keeps asking her out on a date. What are you doing on Saturday? Uh, would you like to have a drink? Do you fancy have a drink, having a drink? Shall we have a drink? Um, hey, let's have a drink, shall we? Uh, do you want to have a drink? How about we have a drink? What about having a drink? Hello? And then he realises, oh, she's a mannequin. She's not a real person. That'd be like some terrible comedy sketch from the 80s or something. Anyway, um, so how do you respond to such a charming invitation? Do you fancy having a drink sometime? Uh, then you would respond by saying, yeah, sure, that sounds great. Yeah, sure, that sounds great. That sounds great or that sounds good. Okay. Yeah, or sure, that sounds great, that sounds good. Also, I'd love to, which is like, I would love to, but I'd, yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to. That sounds great. Uh, now, if you want to um, 
decline the invitation, then you say, here's, here's how British this is. You say exactly the same thing as when you accept the invitation, but you add but at the end, okay? So it's, it's quite ridiculous, but it's typically English. So if someone's invited you for a drink, if you say yes, you can say, sure, that sounds great, or I'd love to. And if you say no, you would say, that sounds great, but, and then the reason why you can't, or I'd love to, but. So would you like to have a drink on Friday? Oh, yeah, that sounds great, but uh, I'm, I'm washing my hair. I'd love to, but um, I'm, fra- I'm afraid I'm washing my hair, okay? And then simply, I can't. Oh, I'm really sorry I can't because, or I'd love to, but I can't. I can't make it. I can't make it means that uh, I'm not able to attend. You know, I can't be there. I can't make it. Okay, so there you go. That was a lot of uh, grammar and vocabulary that I've been teaching my intermediate classes recently. Now, I know that many of you listening to this are at a higher level than intermediate. Uh, but nevertheless, sometimes it's worth going back into some of the grammar there and some of the basics of kind of pragmatics in English and stuff, just to kind of re-establish, just to touch base, you know, just to touch base. And also, it's worth remembering that even when you're dealing with things like grammar and vocabulary and stuff that could be quite boring, in fact, there's lots of room for fun and messing around because often when you're dealing with grammar, you're looking for examples of the language, you're experimenting with it sounding good or sounding strange, and that allows you to be quite creative. So I actually think that teaching grammar and learning grammar can be a lot of fun you know it's really what you make of it and you know there are other activities that you can you can do as well uh, like for example uh, last week in my class I did the lying game which you know about because um, I've played it on this podcast uh, it's probably the exercise I've done the most in any class you know over the years I've I started doing that when I was in Japan and I've always used it and it always works you know the rules of the lying game don't need to explain them again but um, I did that in class and it was very fun The students got deeply involved in it and there was lots of language feedback to be had afterwards and there were some really interesting stories and unexpected winners and things like that. Uh, Also, I'm planning to do the mystery story that I uh, did on the podcast um, many years ago. That was, I think, episode 28, narrative story or mystery story, narrative tenses. Uh, I'm going to use that with this class as well. Essentially, if you remember, that was like a little five-minute story about how I uh, drank too much beer and I fell asleep next to the River Thames. And then I woke up and there was like this monster trying to pull me into the water. And then suddenly, um, this uh, mysterious person arrived next to the river and uh, pointed something at the monster and it went away. And it's all a big mystery. And the story continues in the in the following podcast episode, actually, and it involves Sherlock Holmes and stuff. That's episode 28 and 29. And it's like a exploration into sort of weird mystery story with um, some grammar of uh, narrative tenses as well. And it's a popular one. It's probably the most popular episode of the podcast, in fact, that every week that episode is one of the most downloaded and most visited pages on my, my website. Because I think it's because... Um, it combines these key words, you know, mystery story. A lot of people search for narratives and things when they're learning grammar. And then narrative tenses. And uh, so it's a, it's a popular one, that one. Uh, so I, I will uh, use that in class by essentially sort of uh, a kind of um, telling them the story a few times and then trying to get them to remember the story. That's it. It's a memory exercise as well as a story. So I say to them, okay, I'm going to tell you a story um, and I don't want you to write... No, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't... All right. I'm going to tell you a story. Don't write any notes. Just listen to the story. Just try to enjoy it. And when I've finished, in pairs, you're going to try and retell the story. Okay? And then I tell the story. You know, it's like it was a dark night. I was walking along the the river bank and I drank too much beer and I fell asleep, blah, blah, blah. Uh, And then... They just sit there and listen. It's about five minutes. And then I say, okay, in pairs, don't write anything. Just try and go through the story together. What do you remember uh, of the story? Okay, and then they, in pairs, they're telling the story. I'm going around, I'm listening to them um, and sort of noting down errors. And no doubt there will be errors because in order to tell that story properly, you need to be able to use past simple, past continuous and past perfect tenses correctly. So no doubt there are loads of errors. It's, it's just a really good way of mining their um, 
minding their their grammar and their, their usage. You know, you just give them this fairly rigid task where they have to follow this story perfectly. If they get the main events in the story, then they have to use the right tenses. So it's a great way of revealing the little mistakes or holes in their English and I can correct them in feedback. So after they've like retold the story, I then uh, read it to them again and this time they can take notes. So uh, I read it to them again, they take notes and then with their partners again, they fill the blanks essentially in the things that they missed before or th- new things they discovered and if, and they're giving more detail to the story every time they tell it. Now at any point you can ask them to write it down and it might be worth doing that at this point, like write it all down and then you read it to them a third time and it's important that when you're reading the story you sort of put a little bit of performance into it because otherwise it gets a little bit boring or you do one reading where it's a full performance and then the next reading, you do it very flat, without a performance, you know, in, in, a, in a different way. And that kind of gives it a bit more variety. It's slightly more bearable. Also, you've got to try and make it a good story. So it's, it's, it's sort of rewarding to listen to, uh, if possible. It's difficult to do that. Um, and um, so you read it to them again, and then they correct their, their written work. And then you kind of, you give them a gapped version where they, and you can introduce the gapped version at any time, but you, you gap out all the verb forms and they've got to put the verb forms in the right way. You then correct that exercise and then you let them check it with the one that they wrote uh, beforehand. And then you get them to, again, tell the story one more time with their partners and maybe even write the story again completely from memory. And it's like just pulling, past continuous, pulling per, past perfect into their brains and making and, pro- and making them produce it. And then you can go on to actually focus on the language and start to compare past perfect and past simple and all that sort of stuff. Now, if you're curious about learning about that grammar right now, because I've been talking about past perfect and stuff, uh, I'm not going to talk about it in this episode, but you can go back to episode 28 and you will hear my full explanation of past perfect and past continuous. Uh, So I'll be doing that lesson with them, I think. Also, I've got some other stuff up my sleeve, including a murder mystery, which should be quite fun. Um, So um, there you go. All right. I thought that I would just give you a kind of report, a rundown on the things that I've been doing at work recently. Because, you know, as well as doing this podcast and doing stand up comedy and things like that, uh, teaching English is the thing that I've done the most in my life. Um, and uh, by the way, if there are teachers out there, if there are other language teachers out there, it's especially English teachers, um, get in touch, leave your comments on the website. I'd love to hear from you about your thoughts uh, and your reflections on the things I've talked about in this episode. Uh, I could go on, I could talk about teaching until the cows come home. I really could. Uh, and I kind of, uh, I, I sort of miss having uh, a good chin wag with uh, colleagues in the staff room in my last job because I had like a uh, a big staff room with lots of colleagues in it and uh, I do get to chat with some of my my colleagues these days but um, slightly less than before but anyway it's good fun to talk about English teaching I think there's a lot of things to talk about in fact I even considered starting up my own podcast just for teachers of English and it was going to be called like the teacher's room or something and it would just be kind of banter uh, banter. I kind of hate that word. It was just going to be like crazy banter between English teachers. Just crazy stories. No, I, I hate the word banter. Why did I use it? Just uh, fun conversation between English teachers comparing their experiences in the classroom, talking about particular teaching uh, um, methods, uh, lesson plans, and and other considerations. That would be nice. Um you know, those of you out there who have your own podcasts, I think there are some of you who listen to this who also do podcasts, um, you know, and if you're teachers, then, you know, that would be a, an interesting thing to do to sort of talk more about teaching. Um, anyway, um, all right, then I hope you've enjoyed listening to this. Um, I, I had music at the beginning. Do you remember? Do you remember this? <coughs> it's kind of cool music. I hope that I've proved or proven that... Um, Grammar can be cool and down with the kids. No, no, it's it's not good enough. I mean, I can't really pull off being cool. Even if I try to make fun of it and try to be ironic when I'm trying to be all cool, it's just horrible, isn't it? It really is. But, you know, I'm just messing around with it. Um, 
What else have we got? Oh, this is a little bit sort of smoother, isn't it? That's quite nice. Can you hear like the little crickets in the background? It's quite nice, isn't it? Talking of crickets, ladies and gents, I had the idea the other day that I should do an episode of the podcast all about cricket. <clears throat> you know about cricket? Of course. Of course you do. It's actually the, the world's second most popular sport. That's right. Football, of course, is the number one. But coming in second place is cricket, which is quite interesting because cricket is not played all around the world. But it is popular in many countries. Obviously in England, in, um, in Australia, in New Zealand, in Pakistan, in South Africa, in parts of the West Indies, and crucially in India. And they say that more than a billion people play cricket around the world. Cricket's brilliant. I love it. I used to play cricket all the time when I was younger. I haven't played cricket for, for many years now. You know, the reason I'm talking about cricket is because you can hear crickets in the background of this music. That's the only reason I'm talking about cricket. But also because I want to do an episode about cricket. Because I think it's a fantastic sport. It's massively popular. But there are so many people who don't understand it. They've just got no idea how cricket works and what it is. Uh, so I'd love to do an episode where I talk about cricket and try and explain the rules. Because the rules are really complicated and brilliant. Um, some cricket matches go on for like three days. They're three days long, some of them. And a whole test series, like a, a series between two teams, can last like a whole summer. It's brilliant. Um, so uh, I must talk about cricket on the podcast. It's just an idea. Where, what happened to the music? Where are the crickets? Let's have a bit of this. This has got some vocals on it, I think. I wandered into your wonderland. It's a bit like the podcast, isn't it, really? You know, the first time you ever listen to Luke's English podcast and you sort of suddenly get struck by how profound it is. I imagine that this is what it feels like. You know, that, that first moment you got hooked by Luke's English podcast, this is how it sounded. I wandered into your wonderland. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's how it was for you. Um, I know that when I find a, when I discover a podcast that I love, then that is how it feels when I listen to it and it's, uh, it sort of grabs my attention, you know? It's a magnificent feeling and it feels a bit like this. I wandered into your wonderland. So, there we go. All right, I think that um, that's pretty much it for this episode of Luke's English Podcast. I've been going for over an hour. So I think it's time to wind it down. I hope that you're all well out there in podcast land. I'm sure I've got loads of other things to talk to you about. How's my voice? I think it's okay, right? It just sounds a bit deeper than usual, which, as I've already established probably far too many times, is quite fun because it makes me sound a lot more sort of sincere when I'm speaking like this on the microphone, especially when there's this kind of music in the background. You've been listening to Luke's Smooth Radio, playing the latest smooth jazz grooves all night long. Remember, if you're driving tonight, don't drink. And if you're drinking, don't drive. Luke's English Podcast is sponsored by italki. It's a great service that you can use to uh, talk to native speakers uh, on the internet. Just go to teacherluke.co.uk forward slash talk and magical things will happen in your trousers. Not really. The bit about the trousers there is something I just made up. Uh, that's not actually a legally included part of the contract. Uh, anyway... Also, check out Audible, where you can download a free audiobook, free of charge. It's all free and totally free. Uh, audibletrial.com forward slash teacher Luke. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. You are a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful human being. And I will speak to you again soon. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. 